Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. If you want to jump in and be a part of the conversation, we would love for you to do that this afternoon. C Spire reminds you that Mississippi's future depends on Senate Bill 2284 and House Bill 1165. Join C Spire in the fight and tell your legislator to support computer science for every school. Text the word FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com to get started. Borky, what's up? Not a whole lot, man. We all still have jobs, so your couple days off uh, weren't a disaster, so that's good. Yeah, that, that's always a plus. I'm glad to not come <laughs> back to a pink slip. Uh, glad things didn't I was more talking about the, the three of us. Like you, when you're off, nothing can happen here that will affect you, but I, I mean more the, the, the three of us here. Yeah, well, that that uh, it, it's good regardless. No, nobody needs or wants a uh, a pink pink slip. Hey, Dad, happy Thursday weekend just around the corner. It feels like the weekend, man. Woke up this morning, raining everywhere, cloudy. You walk outside now; it's seventy degrees and sunny. Is it opening day? Yeah, it would be a good day for some baseball. What was it? it? Like incredible. middle of the morning where things turned around and all of a sudden it just got gorgeous. I went to campus at 11, and it was still sprinkling, but the sun was out. And then after after meeting with Coach Lamonis today, came back outside, and it was beautiful. Yeah, spring break is next week. And yeah. I got a little bit of a serious case of depression when I looked at the forecast for next week. Although it appears as if it's better. Looks like it's going to be yeah. mid-60s and not too bad. When I looked at it, oh, I don't know, yesterday. Wait, no, hold on a second. That's Long Beach, California I pulled up. Yeah, we're not, are we going there? Let's go. Uh, no, no. I was uh, looking at the forecast or had that pulled up from uh, when Mississippi State played there. Yeah, uh, next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, showers in the forecast every single day. I saw a, uh, a tweet today from a weatherman up here who said it could not rain here in Starkville until June 16th, and they would still be ahead of the predicted amount of rain that you would expect. For the entire year? Yeah. Guess what next week has in store for everybody? We were just talking about that, Borky. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, rain, right? Monsoons, buddy. Yeah, that'll be lovely. Great way to uh, spend your spring break. Maybe you need to go south. Maybe you need to go way south for uh, for spring break. Or maybe you just need to go skiing for spring break. I don't know what it uh, what it is. Rippy, what's up? Not much. Not a whole lot. Um, 
So, basketball last night. Obviously, Mississippi State played on Tuesday night. You had Ole Miss playing last night uh, in their final home game. It was senior night, last home game for Bree and Tyree, at least in the regular season. So, um, I mean, I guess theoretically there's a scenario where Ole Miss could host an IT game. But in all likelihood, the final home game of the uh, 2020 season for Ole Miss. We'll get into that. I guess, though, hey, Dad, we should start with what is uh, probably the biggest story of the day, and it involves Mississippi State baseball. Um, I don't think the news that came out earlier today was necessarily shocking, but it is official uh, and kind of on two fronts. But first of all, that JT Ginn is out for the year. He has had surgery on his elbow, and sounds like Chris Lamonis didn't get into uh, much in the way of specifics beyond that. No, no. Somewhere between what the actual diagnosis was and upper body injury is where uh, Lamonis landed. Elbow surgery. Uh, didn't go into the details. Obviously, your mind immediately goes to Tommy John, but it's that was Tommy not confirmed. I mean, <laughs> if you want, if you Brian Scott Rippey want to report that, that is your prerogative. Please do not put my name on it. But that this said, is not I mean, the it's, Pentagon Papers here. Let's. It's far more serious. Side body. My God. Anyway. But that said, yes, he's out for the season now, uh, and will you know not Mississippi State has made the, some changes to its rotation, uh, as we all expect that Christian McLeod will be bumped up to uh, to Friday. Will Bednar will come out of the bullpen now and be the Saturday starter. Sarantola stays put on Sundays. Also, uh, Tanner Allen uh, had surgery as well uh, for a I think it's broken hand. I have to double check that. I know it's a hand injury, mm. uh, and he's out. Indefinitely is the word, but later in the, uh, the the interview, which is available on Sports Talk Mississippi's uh, Twitter feed, uh, he did say that uh, the, optimistically could be back in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, broken hand, that feels like a six- to eight-week recovery process, right? If, if not faster than that, just it just depends on you know where it's broken and how badly, I guess. You know, my, my thought process was could they find a way for him to hit, maybe DH a little bit, keep him out of the field? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Brian Scott Rippey is. Uh, so we'll see where that takes us. But, yeah, Allen, again, out for the season. Allen out for the foreseeable future. Maybe a dumb question. Forgive me if it is. <laughs> Which... Which of those two injuries in the short term is a bigger deal? That's a good question. In the short term, it might be Allen because State needs to get its bats going. They have not been hitting the ball well. Long term, obviously, it's Ginn because that's a guy that you know just a few weeks ago we were talking about as a top fifty pitcher or top what top ten pitcher and a, a you know potential preseason All American, and now you've lost that guy. Now your starting rotation, if I did the math correctly, has eight starts between the three of them. So that's tough, hmm. uh, but but short term for sure. State needs to get the bats going. So losing a, a, a hitter like Tanner Allen is, is 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 definitely tough. You think not playing last night against Southern Miss because of the rain is a good thing, or did Mississippi State need to play that game last night? I was thinking about that, and we talked about it a little bit on on today's Thunder and Lightning podcast, and that's you know. I think State needs to be playing. They, you know, they've lost uh, two midseason games now, or midweek games, I should say. And, you know, when you have a young bullpen and you're trying to figure out everybody's roles and you're trying to get guys' innings, you need these games. And now State's lost two of them uh, as a result of the weather. 
and they don't know if they'll be able to make them up. You know, especially this game in Pearl, because I and I asked Lamonis about this. It has to be made up in Pearl. There's not a situation where they, you could just say, okay, well, we'll play in Starkville, we'll play in Hattiesburg, or something like that. It has to be at uh, at Trustmark Park. So I don't know if they'll get to make that up. But I think State would have liked to have had some guys get, get some innings there because they're trying to find out what they have uh, in the bullpen. Everybody's so young and inexperienced. How do you feel differently about Ole Miss and Mississippi State than you did three weeks ago? So we've got three weekends of data, if you will, coming into our fourth weekend. Conference play is just around the corner. I think all of us, when we looked at Mississippi State, thought that, okay, there is an opportunity for Mississippi State to possibly win the West. Certainly to be top two, three, four in the West, which is where they were predicted by pretty much everybody. And really everybody had them predicted either one or two in the West. Yeah. Obviously things are different now for Mississippi State. And then on the flip side, Ole Miss was picked sixth in the West. Is that right? Yeah. Fifth or sixth? That's right. Sixth. Sixth. And if you look at the results of the first three weekends, you probably have a pretty different feeling about Ole Miss as well. So... Hey, let's sit with Mississippi State for a second. How do you feel differently about them now, knowing that JT Ginn is not a part of the rotation, Tanner Allen's out for a while, and Mississippi State has not swung the bats very well so far this year? Well, you can't help but lower your expectations of them to a, a bit, especially you know with, with some of the the out of conference losses. Their, their margin for error is very thin as far as as hosting. They can't afford too many more of those kind of losses. Um, that said, they're still a very talented team, and McLeod has looked like a guy who could be a Friday night starter. So maybe the it's not that big a transition. The, the real question is, what are you getting on Saturday, Sunday now? And he, with Saratola, he's just so up and down. I don't know if he'll ever be consistent. Um, I still think this is a team that could host a regional. I don't know if they could be a national seed. Uh, that said, they're certainly if if it does go a little badly for them and out of conference and they end up going on the road, that's not a two seed that anybody's going to want to see in their regional. So they're still talented. They still have a high ceiling, but it's definitely you definitely have to temper your expectations a bit. Rippy, what about for Ole Miss? As far as expectations, yeah, I mean, kind of I, what you thought about them going into the year versus maybe having you know seen think, them for three weeks. What you think now? I think they have a good chance to finish in the top half of the West and be in the hosting conversation. Uh, whether this current version of the offense is sustainable and the way they're driving in runs, I guess, remains to be seen. But the pitching has been even better than advertised, I think. And if they can find one or two more bullpen arms amongst this group of, I guess it's about four or five of them, I think, uh, then they'll even be better better equipped on the back end there. But the top end with those three arms leading into four sides with Chofi, Broadway, and Miller are, are really tough. So uh, I would say so far, I would say they've changed pretty pretty drastically a couple of guests coming your way this afternoon on the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team about 20 minutes from right now teddy cahill from baseball america will join us to start the four o'clock hour we'll talk with john talty from al.com interesting story that uh, he had about scott cochran ultimately going to georgia and how close he was to almost being at old miss on lane kiffin's staff get Borky's thoughts on baseball and how expectations may have changed when we come back. Plus, today's poll question, it's Sports Talk Mississippi. (music) 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Michael Borky, Twitter poll question. What you got? So off topic from baseball, but uh, saw a story earlier today that Drew Brees is pulling the Tom Brady and thinks that he could play until he's 45. The question is, how many years do you think he actually plays? Right now, he's 41 years old. So, you know, not a math guy, but 41 plus 4 is 45. So one year... Final season coming up, two, three, or four, or more than four. What do you think? You think this is it? If they win a Super Bowl, yeah. I suspect he's going to get a three-year deal, and the third year is going to have an opt-out clause. He'll play two more, and that'll be it. Okay. That is my guess. We'll see. We'll see. So that's the poll question. You can uh, answer it on Twitter at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Borky, I'm curious your reaction as well, how expectations have changed from where we were going into the year for Mississippi State and Ole Miss to after three weekends, going into the fourth weekend, knowing that conference play is just a week and a half away. How's it changed for you? Uh, For me, I I think... uh, Hmm. That's a loaded question when you really think about it because Ole Miss right now, as you guys mentioned, I mean, lead the country in home runs, lead the SEC in strikeouts. Is that sustainable through the course of a long conference slate that is filled with a bunch of really good pitchers and really good opponents? But I think what you've seen is something that I mentioned before the season started is when you go down the list of teams in the SEC and, and you get to Ole Miss, as you mentioned, they were picked to finish six in the West, but if they found a way to make it to the College World Series, would you be surprised by that? And we got a few texts of people that uh, thought that that was a crazy premise, but it's a team that, albeit inexperienced, and they're still tinkering with the lineup some, and it's one that is still very, very talented. The acquisition of talent's never been an issue. It's whether or not they could gel and become a good baseball team, and I think this idea that their head of schedule is accurate, but at the same time, these guys coming together and playing really good baseball and winning at the clip that they've won at really shouldn't be a surprise when you look at how talented they are. I mean, Gunnar Hoagland looks like a completely different pitcher from a year ago, but he was a first-round pick for a reason. So a first-round draft pick pitching as well as he did against a ranked ECU team last weekend shouldn't surprise people. So these things had to go right for this team for them to play this well, but The expectations have obviously changed because it was a lot of unknown, but to be this good is not a surprise. And even though it's a a high strikeout, high home run, high risk, high reward, whatever you want to call it, offense, it's one that I think is sustainable because this isn't like they're not playing above their heads. They are this talented. You just didn't know who they were for the most part going into this season. So the expectations have changed because of the unknown, but playing at this level should not be a surprise uh, to anybody. And then on the flip side, for Mississippi State, I mean, losing the two guys that they did officially today is really going to hurt. And I think in this moment, moving forward for them, you're really going to be missing a guy like Jake Mangum, who was just an energizer, right? I mean, I talked about this uh, on the Sunday show after the Long Beach series, is the, the Friday night game while the offense still has guys that have hit well and that are experienced and you expect to be better than they have been, 
Uh, they were still, ju- it felt like they were just missing that guy that will slap a single out there, steal second, and then generate a run somehow and, and just generate energy. And they might be missing that presence now more than ever with some extremely difficult to overcome adversity, losing your ace and losing a bat like you have moving forward. So the they hadn't been performing to that level to begin with. And then when you lose those two guys, I mean, obviously the expectations change pretty significantly. They still shouldn't be hitting this poorly, though. Borky said nobody should be surprised, but Rippy, you're surprised? Yes, I didn't think they would pitch it at the level they have, and I definitely didn't think they would hit at this consistent of a level. What do you think about what There's a difference, though, between what you thought they were going to be and being surprised that this is what they are, right? Because... Gunnar Hoagland, again, being this good shouldn't surprise you because there's a reason he was a first-round pick. He had a bunch of tools. It just took him a while, a full season, to acclimate. So I guess I'm saying something different than your expectations going in. Obviously, we're not what the team is, but are you really surprised that a first-round pick is a really good college pitcher? Based off of what he did a year ago, yes and adding just a completely new pitch. Because I think a lot of it was just the like scouts liked his frame, like body frame-wise, big, long body. They thought his fastball played and that they could kind of develop the rest. And then that didn't happen as much last year. So that big of a jump, that that surprised me. I figured he'd be better, but I didn't figure he would have, he would create essentially a legitimate out pitch and that his fastball would be four levels better than it was a year ago. Mike Bianco told us on Monday that, you know, we got to remember he was a freshman last year. Yeah, I mean, it's not and, easy and, and to a go freshman that the rolled SEC. out and started every single weekend. But that's also, there's a lot of newcomers on this team, and the 17 team was really talented. They just struggled because they're 18 year olds in the SEC, which is another element of this as well. Yeah. At least in my, I don't know. I, it, it has been surprising to me that at, as consistent as they've been. Message on the C Spire text line, Southern Miss 9-3. and three. They took three out of four last week. Well, three out of four last weekend. Lost the, the midweek game. It says, also a better start than I thought they would be. A young ball club starting four to five freshmen. That's Hooter in Brandon. So he's thinking Southern Miss maybe a little bit ahead of where expectations were um, going into the weekend. Uh, another text. This says uh, two out of the three weekend starters were back for Ole Miss. Why would starting pitching have been an issue? I mean, there's a difference between it being an issue and it going as well as it did. I mean, you had a guy that struggled for 70% of the year on Sundays last year and a guy that was the team's best pitcher on Saturdays, but you were kind of not questioning, but it's a whole different deal going on Fridays. I mean, Christian Trent, uh, I can't remember if Parkinson was ever on Fridays. Feigl was for a little bit. Like, it's a whole different role. So it wasn't a sure thing just because they have two bodies coming back from their week previous year's rotation yeah um Alyssa in oxford says it's easy for y'all to sit there and say that about state baseball but as you've all seen they are they're at their best when they have adversity half of this lineup has played in omaha don't underestimate the fight and culture of that program going forward and the scoreboard size it's huge big scoreboard um uh, I, I don't know that that's necessarily what anybody's doing, Alyssa. I mean, I think we're just talking about the reality of the situation that they're in right now where their number one starter is out for the year and one of their two or three best hitters is out for an extended period, and you've got to overcome that. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's that earlier. There's a lot of talent on this team. We know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, nobody's writing them off and saying that they're going to finish last in the SEC. Just saying that, you know, it's it's it makes sense just logically to temper your expectations a bit when you lose your best pitcher and you lose one of your better hitters for an extended period of time. That's just common sense. And then you have never underestimate Ole Miss's ability to underachieve in baseball. That's from Jay in Charleston. I get what you're saying. But the underachievement, when people want to say Ole Miss underachieving in baseball, what you're really saying is you're frustrated that Ole Miss has one trip to Omaha in the last 19 years under Mike Bianco. So have they underachieved in not getting to the College World Series more than once in a two-decade tenure of the head coach? Sure. And Mike Bianco's admitted as much. But in terms of kind of program success and what they've been and what they are, I don't know that there's that much underachievement. If your only measure of achievement is whether or not you get to the College World Series, then sure, you're right there. If you're looking at it a little more holistically, then that statement's not accurate. If you just joined us, uh, what hitter will Mississippi State be missing? You missed it. So Tanner Allen has a broken hand and is out indefinitely. He's expected to return at some point this year. Don't know whether that's in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or in May, which I guess would be a couple of months. Um, But we'll wait and see. Mike in Oxford says Hoagland is graduating in May. Yes. After two years? Yes. How is that possible? I don't know. You do your own Spanish work. I have no clue. But I, I had a joke coming, man. I was going to be like, his girlfriend must be really smart. You can do it now, man, because there is, I mean, you can take multiple classes in the summer, and then there's like a pre-fall class, and then a winter session, and then a spring semester, and then a pre-summer class. I mean, you can do it. You mm. just never get a break. So if you take 12 hours in the spring and 12 hours in the fall and you do that for two years, you're not. I don't even think you're classified as a junior after doing <laughs> it that. It's interesting, though, because didn't he play summer ball last year? Uh, I would think so. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America will join us when we come back. We'll talk with him about the impact of Mississippi State losing JT again. I get home. We are on the eve of weekend number four of the college baseball season. Once it starts, it goes quickly. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team. Teddy Cahill joins us right now from Baseball America. Teddy, let's start with the uh, the big story today out of the state of Mississippi. Uh, not good news for Mississippi State baseball. Uh, had kind of been rumored and maybe even expected, but uh, the news official now, JT again out for the season had elbow surgery, will not pitch for Mississippi State. How does that change how you look at Mississippi State this year? Yeah, I mean, you take that guy out of the front of Mississippi State's rotation, and it does change things. He was a bona fide Friday starter in the SEC and you know gave Mississippi, Ch- Mississippi State a really good chance every, every Friday night in, in conference play, which is, of course, coming up in just two weeks. So 
It's significant. They have a deep pitching staff, but they don't have anyone with his experience. You know, if you look at the rotation now, um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's sophomores and freshmen, and I know he's a sophomore too, but it's a little different when you have a guy who spent all of last season in the rotation, was a freshman All-American, was, you know, a projected first-round pick, and, um, you know, now they're, they're looking at a lot of guys that aren't as experienced in SEC play, and, and I think experience definitely plays in the SEC. So I don't know how deeply to downgrade them, but it, it is a significant hit to be without him for, for the 10 weeks of SEC play. Two teams right now, I think, kind of stand out in the SEC uh, because of where they were picked going into the year. Tennessee in the East, still undefeated at 13-0, and and they've got some nice wins so far. And then in the West, you've got Alabama, who has not played a very difficult schedule, but they've won every game they've played. They're sitting at 13-0. and Are you buying either or both of these teams? Well, I think I'm buying Tennessee more than I'm buying Alabama in the sense that Tennessee has done very well. They have a win against Texas Tech. Uh, That's by far their best win. The rest of the schedule isn't as good as it might appear at first glance. Like, yes, they've also been Stanford and Houston, but Stanford and Houston are both under 500 overall. And, um, you know, I think we have to readjust what we thought that those teams might be coming into the year. So, you know, it is what it is, but they're undefeated, and they've done it without Garrett Crochet, their ace who has missed, you know, hasn't pitched yet this season, but is expected back soon, possibly as soon as this weekend in some capacity from what I'm seeing. So if he comes back and can be the kind of pitcher that that is expected, uh, that would be pretty significant for Tennessee. And, um, you know, that's a team that's coming off of its first regional appearance in more than a decade and and now maybe could be in a place to to really capitalize on that, although the East looks uh, pretty formidable, at least at the top with – with Vanderbilt, Georgia, and Florida. The the Alabama story is interesting. They got off to a really nice start last year, though, as well, and weren't able to hold that up in SEC play. It's allowed what they're doing. I'm excited by it. Uh, I am very interested, though, to see they have a very young rotation. How is that going to hold up in SEC play? Because uh, it's going to be a step up for them from what they've seen so far. You know, for a team to make progress and kind of move up the pecking order somebody's got to move down and when you start looking at the sec west and you know brad bohannon was lauded as a pretty good hire by alabama and a guy with a great reputation as a recruiter and so you assume that they were going to get players but for alabama to move up somebody's got to slide down are you surprised or, or, or do you anticipate that this continues to trend in the right direction even if alabama finishes you know bottom two in the SEC West, that that they're moving in the right direction? I do think they're definitely moving in the right direction. I was one of the people applauding the hire. I thought it was a great hire. He did great work at Kentucky and then at Auburn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, that, that's a topic that, that gets discussed a lot is, you know, for someone to move up, you know, someone has to go down. At least that's what we usually talk about. But I don't know. Auburn made the College World Series last year, and I don't know who in the SEC West really went down. So sometimes, you know, that, that division is just rugged enough that, you know, at least in, in scattered pop-up years, you can have something like that happen. We'll, we'll, we'll see if Auburn's able to maintain that and Alabama's able to, to take a step up and, and what that would mean for everyone else. But I, I look at what Alabama has. I like the, the talent. They have some, uh, some nice 
upperclassmen, you know, guys like Tyler Gentry, who had a really nice year for, for them last year and is off to a great start this year. And then they've brought in back-to-back top 15 recruiting classes. And the, the big thing in this year's class was, was on the mound. And so you see Connor Prelip and Antoine Jean, two of their weekend starters, are freshmen. And if those guys develop in the way that, that Bohannon thinks they will, Alabama's going to be really good for the next few years at least. Teddy Cahill for Baseball America on the Farm Bureau phone line. Let's pull out the uh, 1 to 10 scale and let's measure um, reason for concern. On a scale of 1 to 10, Arkansas at 7 and 4, issues with Casey Martin. Pitching's been okay, but they don't necessarily have a dominant starter. They go 0 3 last weekend. How worried should Arkansas fans be on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, I guess that requires knowing where Arkansas fans' uh, expectations lie. I, knowing that they think it's Omaha, I list it pretty high. You know, it might be a seven because Ooh. these are the concerns I had about Arkansas coming into the season. That you know, replacing Blaine Knight and Isaiah Campbell was going to be no easy task. And Connor Noland and Patrick Wicklander had experience, but neither of them seemed like they were ready to step up and, and do what, what Knight and Campbell did for the last few years in Fayetteville. So if they can't find, uh, you know, the, the staff is really deep, but they still need someone to, to carry the banner at the front of it, I think. And they're going to need to work to develop that over the next few weeks. And then LSU. They're sitting at 8-5. and five. They were no hit last weekend. They've dropped some midweek games already this year, which is not necessarily anomaly. That seems to happen every year. LSU, in, uh, in terms of worry, where are they? Yeah, again, you know, their fans definitely are thinking Omaha, and if that's what you're thinking, maybe you need to, to jack up what I'm about to say a little higher on the concern meter, but I'm only at like a 3 or a 4 with them. Uh, I knew this LSU team was going to take a little while to, to round into form offensively. I, I, I really like all of the pieces there. They pitched at a high level in Houston. And yes, they got no hit, but AJ Labus threw seven no hit innings of his own before yeah. Oklahoma, you know, broke through with a, a solo homer. And that, that's the only run of the game. Otherwise, you know, maybe they're still playing there. I, I don't know. So, uh, you know, I, I think the Tigers talent is uh is good and you know they're going to get to a point in may where where pulmonary has them playing very well and, and they can do all the things that you typically expect of, a, of an lsu team host a regional you know maybe make a run and, and then you see where it is at the end of june i think i've read that story before yeah it's a it's a familiar story to everyone i, I feel like yeah uh does ole miss have the most impressive resume so far it's certainly one of them. You know, I, I, the series win against Louisville was loud. What they did last weekend going on the road and uh, sweeping through the, the tournament at East Carolina, um, you know, that's a good ECU team. It looks like a really solid Indiana team as well. And, you know, High Point isn't the, the biggest win there, but you know, to win three games away from home, you know, I, I really like what, uh, what Ole Miss has been able to do. It's certainly one of the best resumes in the country to this point, and that's why They've uh, they've surged into the top ten just three weeks into the season. Is this the most boring weekend on the college baseball calendar? I feel like we get good matchups in week one, week two, week three. You got a bunch of tournaments, and some teams will kind of test themselves a little bit. But it feels like everybody kind of just mails it in a little bit in week four before conference play begins. Yeah, in the SEC, it's definitely the most boring weekend. I, I would say um, the. 
the ACC starts uh, conference play this week. They, they go a week early so that they can have a okay. bye week. So that, that saves it a little bit. And the tournament out in L.A. with Vanderbilt, UCLA, and TCU, and, and USC is loud. But aside from those two things, the start of ACC play and the tournament in L.A., it's, it's a lighter weekend. And um, you know, for SEC teams, only Vanderbilt is, is playing what I would consider a particularly interesting series. You know, South Al going to Arkansas, I'm going to have my eye on that, but it is, uh, it is definitely a light slate this weekend before the start of SEC play. Number five Vanderbilt against number two UCLA with no television. Come on. We got to do better than that. Streaming. Fortunately, in the past, this would 100% not have been available to anyone, but UCLA has figured out a way to stream some baseball games this year. So it is, it is streaming, fortunately. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a pretty sexy matchup. Vanderbilt racking up the frequent flyer miles with uh, their second trip to the uh, West Coast already this season. Teddy, always uh, appreciate it. Uh, we'll be in conference play before we know it uh, in this part of the country. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. It's Teddy Cahill from uh, Baseball America. Always a uh, fun conversation with him. This is the slate this weekend for the SEC. South Alabama at Arkansas. Quinnipiac is in Starkville. UMass is in Athens. South Florida and Florida. Yeah, okay. Wright State at Tennessee, as Wright State continues to blitzkrieg its way through the southeast. <laughs> Lipscomb is at Bama. Chicago State is at Auburn. Cornell at South Carolina. Princeton at Ole Miss. New Mexico State at A&M. Western Illinois at Missouri. UMass Lowell is in Baton Rouge. Really? The guy <laughs> from Wings? Yeah, I guess. And then Vanderbilt and UCLA is part of that tournament out in uh, Los Angeles. That's uh, that's pretty good. So you've got the one interesting matchup on Friday out of the 14 SEC teams. Sports Talk Mississippi. That was Teddy Cahill on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Poll question. Uh, it was a bit of a non sequitur in the middle of a baseball conversation earlier. How many more years will Drew Brees play quarterback for the Saints? One, two, three, or four plus? I think those were the options, right, Borky? Those were the options. Yeah, 57% say two, 24, almost 25 for one, and then 10.6 for three, and then people just having fun online. Uh, four plus got 7%. I mean, you might just play at least 50. Yeah, maybe so. Probably not, but maybe so. I mean, he, last year, it, whether it was those five games off or what, but wild card loss aside, uh, with the two turnovers, had a really, really, really good season. So, like Doug Gottlieb, I saw Fox Sports Radio shared a tweet of him saying that this should be his last year. But if he plays this year like he did a year ago, you try telling that guy that, oh, you don't have it anymore. Completing uh, over agree. 70% of his passes and had the, a receiver that had the greatest individual season in football history. You have a really good offensive line in front of you, a really good pair of running backs. Tell that guy to quit. Why, why would he? I agree, though. This should be Doug Gottlieb's last year. <laughs> Not Can't a fan. get that guy. Not a fan of that guy, no. Like, have never liked him, didn't like him at ESPN? No, no Just... I never have. Just a little too sanctimonious for my for my blood. 
He does have a little bit of that going. Um, C Spire text line, not college or baseball related. Big shout out, though, to the Pine Grove Lady Panthers in Tippa County. 1A state basketball champions four years in a row. That's from Kevo in Dumas. There you go. There you go. Louie, what do you think on this one, Rippy? Would Ole Miss fans rather have five trips to the College World Series, but ten other seasons of 500 or sub-500 baseball mixed in? Over how much time? Well, 15 I mean, years? I mean, over... I mean, he over say fifteen years. Does that sound about right? Well, no. I mean, let's use Mike Bianco's entire tenure. Nineteen years. Would they rather have five trips to the College World Series? I wouldn't want to speak for anyone, but I would imagine they would. That'd be a so, weird, weird a roller kind of coaster program versus consistency. Yeah. Yes. Be like the Giants when that was kind of World Series, but not make the playoffs the other years. Say that again. Be like the Giants when they won three World Series. In between all that, they never even made the playoffs. Yeah, I guess there is something to that. But I mean, that, that would basically be Tennessee baseball it. under Rod Delmonico, right? I mean, yeah, but that, and that's winning. It, I mean, if you're telling me five national titles, you're taking oh, that deal right I mean, now. Come on, yeah, yeah. But just getting to the World Series, I don't know. Sub 500 every other year except for your five Omaha trips or one Omaha trip. Generally, pretty good product, hosting regionals. It's it's tougher than you think, but I still think the answer is going to Omaha multiple times. But Well, multiple is two. Five is a well, different five. deal. Yes, you, yeah, five times. But, man, I mean, sub that's a trip 500. to the College World Series every four years. And the other three being sub-500. I think you would see a similar level of frustration yep. that exists now. It, it would just be, be, that would be the question. It would be, mis- like, it would be differently placed. If you go to like, Omaha what? five times in 19 years, though, it's probably less than one in five, one in six in Supers. Do what now? What are they in Supers? One in five, one in six? I can't remember. A five, a six, a nine, sixteen, nineteen. So one and one and five. There you go. I would say old, most Ole Miss people would trade five Omaha trips for that. Yeah, maybe so. Sorry, it's Dumas, not Dumas. So, got got it. Does Thanks a coach the, five uh, correction survive after going to Omaha three consecutive sub five hundred seasons? <laughs> You know, I mean, would a coach survive that? Would Mike yeah. Bianco survive that? The answer is probably a, no, right? A lot of moving pieces. Yeah, you'd be like, hey, we went to Omaha two years ago, and now we're ten games under five hundred. What's this guy doing? Yeah, that's. And again, I mean, you're talking about incredibly hypothetical, right? Obviously, but I think the point that Louis making is that the Ole Miss program has been a model of consistency. That's where we started with this. They win 14 to 18, 14 to 17 games in the SEC every single year. In 19 years, they've played in 16 regionals and hosted, what, eight of those? Six super regionals, hosted three of them. Three or four? It's one and six in supers. I didn't count 07. Okay. 
Uh, whatever. We're trying to be factually accurate here. Hour in the books with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's talk some hoops when we come back. Ole Miss big win on senior night last night against the Missouri Tigers. And John Talty. We'll talk with John Talty on the Farm Bureau phone line from AL.com after a quick timeout. And the news. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Thursday. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. The biggest free phone event ever is here. Switch to prepaid by C Spire and get your choice of best-selling phones for free, like the Samsung Galaxy A10e, the Google Pixel 3a, and more. While supplies last, shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, and chat with John Talty from AL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JTalty. Interesting story that uh, John wrote about Scott Cochran, the former strength and conditioning coach at Alabama, now on Kirby Smart staff of, at uh, Georgia. But uh, I guess the most fascinating angle to that, uh, at least from the perspective of folks here in Mississippi, is that uh, the Ole Miss thing, the Lane Kiffin thing, was a very real possibility. John, what's up, man? Appreciate some time. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Good to talk to uh, the people of Mississippi again. All right. So the the Scott Cochran thing, um, I thought there were several fascinating parts to the story that uh, that you wrote, but... Maybe high level, first of all, Scott Cochran was ready to do something besides just coach guys on how to bench press, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is really what, you know, powered a lot of what we've, you know, what we wrote in that story and what we've seen, you know, in the last few months, really, starting, you know, really with, uh, you know, the Ole Miss opportunity, which I'm sure we'll get into more detail in a second. Um, but also, you know, he had conversations with Michigan State. Uh, the New York Giants, and then ultimately, you know, he went to Georgia as special teams coach. And so, you know, this was something that he had been thinking about, and then, you know, in the last few months, really started actively pursuing um, that this is kind of the, if he, you know, has he has these goals of trying to be a head coach one day. And I think he realized if he was ever going to do that, he had to make a move to eventually being a position coach and trying to work his way up from there. And so that's something that he very actively pursued. Um, you know, really since December when he you know, kind of first had conversations uh, with Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. I, I was going to say, help me out on the timeline, because Lane Kiffin, that was kind of the first domino to fall in, in this cycle, at least in terms of you know jobs that we're talking about here. So talked with Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin early. You mentioned Michigan State. Was that once Mel Tucker got the job? Correct, yeah. So that was after, that was after the Ole Miss opportunity uh, you know, didn't happen, essentially. Okay. So walk me through the Ole Miss thing. How real was that? How badly did Lane Kiffin want Scott Cochran on his staff? How badly did Scott Cochran want to want to join Lane Kiffin in Oxford? Yeah, I mean, like like anything in life, you know, there's going to be different uh, spin and tales from everybody involved. You know, and so the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But you know, it's certainly you know, after talking to a lot of different people, I guess, in the college football world, you know, there there were serious conversations here. Um, you know, Lane did seriously consider. You know, bringing Scott on um, as a you know, special teams coach, uh, special teams coordinator, um, ultimately hired Blake Gideon from Houston, 
Uh, but Scott was was absolutely interested in this. Um, you know, one person described it to me that you know he was all in on coming to Ole Miss. Um, you know, he had even kind of told people close to him that you know he was expecting to get the job and he was ready to take the job. And so he was you know, very much uh, what people told me, you know, ready to take on this next move. And and when it didn't happen, was very disappointed. Um, I think you know when faced with the reality of having to go back to being a strength and conditioning coach, I think that certainly left him you know upset. And I think that experience of what he believed to be getting pretty, you know, that he was going to get this job that really reinforced in his head that he needed to be a position coach and that he needed to start even more actively pursuing that after getting, you know, uh, close to it, I guess, in some regard uh, with Ole Miss and Lane. John, how would Nick Saban, and I guess I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, so forgive me, um, how would Nick Saban have viewed – Scott Cochran joining Lane Kiffin in comparison to how he views him joining Kirby Smart. You know that is a uh, that's a million dollar question right there, right? I, I think that you know for multiple reasons. I think that you know you can look at it either way. I think you know certainly um, there's been friction probably between both of those guys and Nick on their way out. Um, you know Kirby was obviously with Nick for a lot longer. Um, so in some regard, you know, from one angle, you could think, you know, he'd probably rather have him with Kirby. Um, Kirby has something a little more established, whereas Lane is just coming in, and you don't necessarily know what's going to be. Uh, on the flip side, you know, as of right now, Georgia is a bigger threat to Alabama than Ole Miss is. And so, you know, if you believe that this guy is an important part of your program, which Nick obviously did, you know, losing him to the program that's probably best suited right now other than LSU to knock you off is not something that you necessarily want. And so... You can look at it from a couple different things, but even talking to people, you know, around Nick, uh, yeah, I think he he realized and was resigned to the fact that you know this is something that Scott wanted to do, and that you know as much as he could be, he was happy for him uh, to take on that next opportunity, regardless of where uh, where it was going to be. How much was the relationship damaged between Cochran and Saban? Because this, I mean, this is one of the originals. I mean, he he's been with Nick Saban for the entire time in Tuscaloosa, and they're, I mean. The, We've seen kind of like a revolving door of assistant coaches, so so continuity at that position has been really important for Alabama. Yeah, I mean, he was really the last one left from that initial staff. You know, I mean, Burton Burns was you know one of the original running backs coaches, and uh, he had been moved into an off-field role, and then he left this year um, the New York Giants. And Cochran was you know outside of their um, trainer Jeff Allen, who does a great job too. I mean, Cochran is really the main piece of from 2007 to now. He was the you know one piece that had been there the whole way. And so, you know, to answer your initial part of your question, I mean, I think right now there are hurt feelings on both sides. You know, I think that Cochran, you know, I think is upset over the fact that you know, he believes Saban was pretty dismissive um, to the idea of him becoming an on-field coach. Um, and, you know, I think from the Alabama perspective, I think that, you know, they feel like, you know, Cochran's kind of you know, spreading some things that they might not feel are accurate or not really fair to them. And so I think there's kind of a sadness over the way that the relationship ended to this point. And so, you know, like anything in life, you know, that can be fixed and rebuilt over time, you know. But as of right now, I think it's still very raw for both sides. I think there's some hurt feelings, and I think that, you know, if if that's going to be rebuilt, it's going to take some time, I think, for both sides. John Talty on the Farm Bureau phone line from AL.com talking a little bit about Scott Cochran. Ole Miss figures into that because Lane Kiffin and uh, Cochran talked about the, the possibility of him joining the staff in Oxford. Uh what does Scott Cochran bring to the table for Kirby Smart? 
I think it's it's a few things. You know, you can look at it. One, again, I kind of hit on it earlier, but, you know, Cochran's been this certainly this huge piece of the Alabama machine over the last 13 years. So, you know, if you view Alabama as one of your big competitors, which they are to Georgia, if they're going to win the SEC, you know, you're weakening one of your opponents by taking him. I think the other big thing is that, you know, people I think around Georgia and also people just, you know, around Cochran, college football, believe he has the potential to be a very effective recruiter. You know, one of the things that I've been told at Alabama, beyond just the you know, strength and conditioning stuff, his biggest you know, value to Alabama really was dealing with the players. You know, when guys were thinking about transferring, when guys were upset about playing time, when guys were having girlfriend issues, it wasn't Nick Saban dealing with those problems. It was Scott. <laughs> and so he had really established this strong relationship with the players. And so I think Kirby believes that will translate. Um, to successful recruiting results. And the other big thing that one person told me is that, you know, Scott's recruiting pitch can be very simple. He can say, listen, I was at Alabama for 13 seasons. We won all these national championships. I left for a reason to come to Georgia, and here's why. And then he gets the stone point. And so that's something that I think Kirby is already using on the recruiting trail, and Cochran can just kind of reinforce that of, you know, me and Kirby are the two most important guys other than Nick Saban to kind of build that dynasty and we're all Georgia now so let's build the next dynasty and that's kind of what you're getting by having Cochran I love the image of a backup right guard going to Nick Saban to talk about girlfriend problems yeah I don't think that conversation would have very long that that conversation would not last very long that would be a quick uh why don't you talk to Scott about that you know and to be <laughs> coach my girl's mad at me what do I do in the room you know yeah that's that's uh that's beautiful um you, you outlined it here, but it, it, I, I, maybe I'm asking the same thing in a different way. So, obviously, Kirby saw value here, but was there an element of gotcha to Nick Saban from Kirby Smart going and, and taking away one of his guys? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think certainly people you know around the college football world that I've talked to viewed it as kind of a shot across the bow um, to Alabama, and, you know, it's I'll tell you a quick story here you know, that I had written about in the past, but when Kirby left Alabama, one of the things that really bothered Alabama was that he took photos of their recruiting board and different information and kind of their recruiting profiles for guys they were going after, and then he then used it against Alabama. So you know, guys that both Alabama and Georgia were recruiting, he you know, pulls up their recruiting profile, um, which is supposed to be you know, pretty, pretty honest. Like, hey, you know, Alabama doesn't think you're ever going to be a number one receiver. You're only going to be a three there. I think you can be a one here. And he used Alabama's own recruiting those against them on the recruiting trail. And so that's to a lot of people was like, wow, he burned that bridge really fast with us. So when you kind of use think about that in the context, yeah, I think that part of the appeal of this to Kirby was the sense that he is going to steal, you know, probably the number two most important person to Alabama football over the last decade plus on you know after of course yeah. Nick Saban. Really interesting insight. Great story. You can read it at AL.com. You can find it on uh, John's Twitter feed at JTalty. John, thanks for your time this afternoon. Good visiting with you. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Don't forget you can always get podcasts, whether it's of Sports Talk Mississippi, if you missed any of the show, or Thunder and Lightning, or the Rebel Report, or the Eagle Hour, wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the uh, Google Play Store, um, you know, Rippy's Basement. You know, wherever you get your podcasts, they will be right there for you so you can uh, stay up 
with what? all what? The, today with all that's going on. Why would there be huh? podcasts in Rippy's basement? What? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's isn't that like oh? I did Cheeto see Bernie canceled his trip to Mississippi. So say that yeah. again. Bernie was supposed to visit Mississippi, but he canceled. So uh, no Rippy. I mean, can devastated. we be honest and say that that probably was a good decision in terms of uh, allocation of resources? Probably so, about, but you're going to break hearts, especially this guy. It's just about over for, for Rippy's guy here. Will he jump on the, the Joe Biden train? That's the question. I'm going to go ahead and guess no. Oh, well, me or him? Wait, wait, me? wait, who? Wait, will you, you jump? Will you. Rippy or will Bernie? I'm not worried about Bernie. I'm talking about Rippy. Oh. <laughs> TBD, I guess. <laughs> they just moved to Cuba. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, C Spire text line open 601-879-4395. May just move to Cuba. Basketball last night. Ole Miss gets a win over Missouri. And Brian Tyree had a really quiet first half in the game last night. Blake Henson did not. 19 first half points for him. And when Drew Smith got into foul trouble, the game changed for Brian Tyree, and he was really good in the second half. What did you think last night? Uh, he was one of his more efficient games. He, you know, they, they did a pretty good job on him in the first half, only had six points. Blake Henson had one of those Blake Henson deals where he went for 19 in the first half and then took two shots and didn't score in the second half. And But he kind of willed them down the stretch in the second half. Missouri... Tied the game with an 11-2 run, and then it was tied at like 53. And then Tyree, I think, was responsible for like 9 of the 10 points in a 10-2 run that gave Ole Miss an 8-point lead that they didn't surrender. They didn't. They weren't up by double digits again like they were in the first half, but they were kind of at eight, in the 8-6 range the rest of the game. So that run really changed the course of the game. So uh, really kind of fitting that he really put him uh, on his back one last time. Ole Miss led by... 15 in the first half? Yeah, right? 42-27, and then they shaved it down to 9. By Didn't half hit time. a shot for the first 8 minutes of the second half? That is correct, somewhere around then. I, don't, I can't remember the exact mark. But, yes, that is correct, and then the 10-2 run, and that was really kind of the difference in the game. It was an ugly second half. I mean, the game is 75-67. It was 49-40 at halftime. Yeah. Uh, four starters for Ole Miss in double figures. Hadim Sai had 12. K.J. Buffin, solid night for him. 13 points and 10 rebounds. Yeah, I mean, if they can get him to be that version of himself next year, and he's been quietly more consistent in the second half of the season. Uh, it's probably more so Henson that that last statement would uh, be attributed to. But, yeah, he's been pretty good the last couple of weeks. Tyree, 19 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, had a steal, had a block, turned it over 4 times last night in his final home game of the uh, regular season uh, in his senior season. Devontae Shuler had one of those nights. Last three games, he's actually shot it really, really well, especially from behind the arc. Last night, he goes 1 of 8, 0 of 3 from 3, 4 points in 27 minutes. It was one of those nights where he couldn't do anything. Yeah, he just kind of disappeared again for stretches of that game, which he's tended to do this year. Just It's kind of on brand for how most of his season has gone. He's had some good games, but just hasn't been consistent enough to kind of equalize the backcourt and then be a strong SEC backcourt instead of just one really good guard. Only one of Missouri's starters was in double figures. That was Xavier Pinson. He had 16 in the game. Tillman had 12 off the bench. So only two players in double figures and only one starter. And Javon Pickett uh, went scoreless as a starter. Um, 
Drew Smith had eight points. He had had a big game against Ole Miss earlier this year and has been playing at a really high level. Uh, Reed Nicko was not a factor in the game. Four points, four fouls in just 13 minutes. What does that win mean for Ole Miss? They're 15 and 15 overall. They get to six and 11 in conference play. Um, they've split with Missouri, so seeding at this point still very much up in the air for the SEC tournament. They're playing Wednesday, but outside of that, it just means T- Bree and Tyree won his last game at the Bowie and had a nice moment post game. Outside of that, I mean, fifteen and fifteen. So there's no shot they play themselves into the ten, ten seed. Is that right? I don't believe so because Arkansas beat LSU last night. That's right. That's right. So in terms of standings, your top four seeds are going to be Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, and Florida. Those are locked in, but the order is not necessarily locked in because you got Kentucky at fourteen and three. You know they are going to be the one seed. Auburn, LSU, and Florida all eleven and six. Then you got Mississippi State and South Carolina both at ten and seven. Tennessee, Texas A and M both at nine and eight. Could State I was not Auburn be the four? Say what? Could State not be the four seed if they win and Florida loses? Um, State would have the head to head. They would have the head to head over Florida. Florida plays Kentucky on Saturday as well. They only had the one meeting, right? Yeah. I was thinking those four that were, were locked in at that point, but uh, you may be right. That that actually does make more sense. So um, I guess Mississippi State could still get to the four and get that double bye, but it would take a win against Ole Miss and a loss for Florida against Kentucky on Saturday. Vanderbilt yeah, is going think... to be the 14 seed. They are 2-15. and 15. Georgia is going to be the 13 seed. They are five and twelve. Uh, I don't know what they did. They lost against Missouri, so they've lost to both Ole Miss and Missouri. So, really, for Ole Miss right now, with the win over Missouri, their position one spot. Best case scenario for the Rebels is they stay in that eleven, and they get Vanderbilt in the first game. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> I mean. Sure. You know, I mean, if you're looking for your easiest matchup, Vanderbilt's two and fifteen, and you just beat them by twenty a week ago. I yes. guess. I mean, that would be the idea of the other three teams playing, or you could possibly I'm, play. I'm pretty sure too that regardless of what happens Saturday, and Ole Miss win in the SEC tournament, and they will play Mississippi State in the next game. Whether Mississippi State's the four or the five? Oh, if State's the four, they would. They would. Uh, I guess it would make a difference there. If State's the five or the six, though, they they will play Ole Miss if Ole Miss wins their first game. Gotcha. Well, that'd be fun. Could be round three. Could be. <laughs> Ole Miss and Mississippi State coming up on Saturday from the Pavilion. So I was at uh, I was at Auburn last night. Auburn was sixteen and zero. And they were trying to finish off a perfect season at home for the third time since the 1968-69 season. And they lost to Texas A&M. If, look, Buzz Williams is not going to be the coach of the year in the SEC. Why not? Because Kentucky's gone 14-3. and They're going to go 15-3. and and the job that Cal's done with that team's pretty impressive. What is more impressive, though? 
Yeah, this is sort of the same debate we always have with football. You know, with Saban going undefeated, but if uh, you know somebody goes ten and three at Kentucky, they should be the SEC Coach of the Year. I I guess I was headed in the direction of Buzz Williams deserves some serious consideration yeah. for Coach of the Year in the SEC. You should win yeah. it. Do you think they, he's they, going to? I have no idea. I don't know how that works. Aren't there two coaches of the year? There's two players of the year and all kinds of stuff. Probably so. Maybe he wins one of them. Maybe they split it in half. Let's be social here. The, the but, question I'm, is not who will, but who should, I guess. Who do you think actually should be the coach of the year? If you had a vote, where would it go? Buzz Williams. I think Buzz has done the best coaching job given what he's got on that team of anybody. I mean, they lost four in a row in the non-conference. Three down in Orlando, and then followed it up with a loss to Texas. Yeah, they just—they were just bad. There, there were Texas A&M fans that were openly wondering whether or not they were going to win a conference game. They could now win their tenth conference game on Saturday at home against Arkansas. That's insane. So Jeff brought this to our attention. Speaking of insane, Kentucky lost to Evansville. Yeah. Evansville went 0-18 in conference play. Yeah, they weren't the same after Walter McCarty got canned. No. Did you see the uh, clip with Cal earlier this week where he was talking about the Evansville and just kind of took over his press conference? They had a guy Mm -hmm. beat Kentucky and get canned. Yeah, they had yes, some off there the court were some stuff going off there. the court issues that were. Oh, I was about to say, tough sell. Yeah, yeah. Former Kentucky great Walter McCarty goes into Rupp and wins, and it's a great story. And then, like two weeks later, he gets fired. It was administrative leave and then termination. Sports Talk happens- Mississippi. Not to Will Wade. A <laughs> uh, little bit different issue, I think. Think we're dealing with a little bit different issue here. Also about the administrative leave coming back thing. We'll be back. New York Post story. Working, you uh, you labeled this media trade season. Yeah, it's a new season I didn't know existed. Thinking large and outside the box, ESPN plans to attempt to acquire Al Michaels from NBC Sports for Monday Night Football, the Post has learned. ESPN would like to team Michaels with Peyton Manning in its dream booth, according to sources. Manning is now ESPN's top choice after Tony Romo agreed to his 10-year $180 million deal to remain at CBS. ESPN has also shown some interest in Philip Rivers, according to sources, though Rivers has said he intends to continue playing. Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland are the current Monday Night Football team, but sort of, according to the New York Post, The network is strongly considering a change. Had ESPN been able to sign Romo, they were hoping to bring Al Michaels in as his partner. And the story says, besides adding 
the glamour of a Michaels-Romo combination of the telecast, Disney, which owns ESPN, would head into its upcoming NFL rights negotiation with the biggest-name broadcast team in the business. Disney is hoping to add more NFL and a Super Bowl in the coming years. Imagine the upgrade. I don't hate Joe Tess. I think he acts like every game and every moment and every game is like the biggest moment of his life. He's kind of theatrical, but he's fine. Kind of. Wasn't he the Texas <laughs> is back 4-8 and eight Notre Dame game? That's, that's why he's perfect for college football, where those moments are a little more... Uh, I don't know how the word. I wanted to say like more often you get those kind of moments, basically. Yeah. Whereas in, in in the NFL, a week seven regular season game doesn't really have any moments in it. It just no. whoever wins is probably still in the playoff picture. Whoever loses might not be. And he's excellent at calling boxing, but like I don't think he's terrible. He's fine. But imagine the upgrade that you would get from Tess and Boog to these two guys right here. Al Michaels is 75, but he's still got his fastball. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's still just as sharp as can be. Vern had lost it a little bit. We'll still get those gambling references, too. Who? Al Michaels? Yeah. These last couple minutes could be very important to some of our viewers. Yeah. Um, I can actually see this happening because... I think NBC would be okay with it because they've got Mike Tirico. Yeah, that's true. Who would you I mean, trade that, for? What happens if Peyton stinks, though? He won't. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, that's that. It's not a sure thing, but it feels like a sure thing. No, I think it is a sure thing. I mean, unless he just freezes, but he's funny and he's witty and he understands yeah. the game and he's a good communicator. If, and if he the guy will be didn't driven freeze, to be great. If the guy didn't freeze at the Super Bowl, like I think it'd be all right. Like if he weren't famous, I don't know how many people would consider him funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get that. I guess I mean, I'm not saying I don't think he'll be good, but like that would obviously, I guess they do their homework. But I, I guess what I'm asking is, it a sure thing? He probably yeah, won't suggest you spike the ball on fourth down. Yeah, that's an upgrade. Or draw a inappropriate <laughs> telestrator image. <laughs> Or that you can't lose it and win a dumb in the NFL. Question, just after Booger's rapid ascent and kind of getting in over his skis, like a first timer again. Like I don't, I, I think just don't think like it's the Romo be thing. Tony Romo. It, it, that's what it is. You you you're you're hoping that he gives you that same kind of. Okay, I see the formation. This is exactly what they're going to do. I, you would think Peyton Manning would be better at it than Tony Romo. To be totally honest, it's just can he be as good at it at, at relaying it? To us, as Romo has been. Yeah, fair enough. What can we get for Rippy in a trade? That's what I want to know. Who would we trade with? Well, I mean, this is not necessarily a trade. Like I a mean, fantasy, this is fantasy, just... fantasy sports broadcasting. Let's go. Okay, now hold on. Let's play this thing out for a second. Let's say that ESPN gets Al Michaels and Mike Tirico gets elevated at. At NBC, so there's no there's no shifting there. It's just an elevation of Mike Tirico to the Sunday night game on NBC. Yeah, and you don't miss a beat, not a beat. He's terrific. Didn't he already do that once? 
Who, Al Ma- uh, he did, he, he did Monday yeah. Night Football. He, he did, did Monday, Monday Night Football, football on, ESPN. on ESPN. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, so Al Michaels comes. So what do you do with Joe Tessitore? Back to college. College football. Okay, you slide him back to college. Where do you put him? Bowling would be hilarious. <laughs> Ooh, wait. This Well, people may not like this idea. I know what you're going to say. The newly acquired SEC on ABC. Yeah. When the, but that's that's a couple years off, though, so you got to... Hey, they're trying to buy it out for this year. Well, if they no, do that, that's, this that's, year they're not. If, okay, then, yeah. Was that, that report was wrong, or they changed their mind then? Just too many moving parts to get it done this year. Since I don't ever watch games on TV anymore, who's the ESPN 6 o'clock kickoff guys? Sean McDonough. SEC? McDonough and who? Blackledge? Uh, Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge. McDonough I like on McDonough. Monday Night Football already. Yeah. That guy was, yeah, he's much better with college. And good with pro baseball, too. Um, Baseball's yeah, Dan yeah, Schulman, I'm, right? I get them confused. Yes. Although he's not he, doing much baseball for ESPN anymore. He's doing college basketball and then playoff baseball on the radio for ESPN and some Toronto Blue Jays games. Not traveling as much. I don't know where you put Tess right now. I mean, he was doing the SEC Network game, but I think Hart and Rogers and Kublik are really good there. All right, so are you I mean, putting Tess or Tom Hart on the 2.30 ABC game? When that time comes, if I had the choice it, there? It's coming. Just hear me out on this. It's not this year. It's going to happen next year. I probably would put Tessator there over Tom Hart. Any other thoughts? Who's your analyst on that game? Oh, I don't well, know. I mean, Gary Danielson. Oh, Gary. Why would you not be don't Gary speak Danielson. it into existence? <laughs> don't do it. Oh, everybody would love that. Change networks what is and you still get going to do now. Oh, he'll probably go to the Alabama analyst at Alabama. Yeah. Or that or I mean CBS is not going to just completely get out of college football, are they? Surely they'll have something that Danielson can do. They're spending all their money on Romo. Yeah, but they had that CBS Sports <laughs> Network. Like, is is Danielson really going to be doing Utah State, Colorado State? Okay, I can hear I him talking so. to whoever the you know the guy is there. You know, when I used to cover Alabama, Nick Saban always told me, "Man, you got the Alabama angle because that's where McIlwain was. He was a former Saban assistant. Boom, there it is. Here's what here's what we're uh, doing. Uh, I, cha- I, cha- I changed my mind. Hold- okay, we're, go we're ahead. Put, we're, we're putting Hart at two thirty. Richard Cross, six o'clock, SEC Network game of the week. Let's do it. Kind of like the sound of that. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. We could uh, get Rogers off that broadcast though. Can I, I like be? Can I have Cole Kubelik's role? Can I be the fat guy on the sideline? Um, let's see here. Is that doable? Two play-by-play guys do a game together. Yes. That would be one of them's got to be the lead. No, no, I'm talking about like talk at the same time. That's the worst what? idea you've ever had. Here. Like lockstep and unison, both of them. See how close they can get language-wise. Hold okay, we just went off the rails. Back up a second. Let's say that it's either Tom Hart or Joe Tessitore on that two thirty game when it's on ABC a year from now. Who's the analyst? It's not going to be Gary Danielson. That was thrown out there, but it, more seriously, who do you want as the analyst on that game? Cole Keyboy. Talking about in the in the uh, booth. 
in, or on the sideline. In the booth, 2.30. Would they move McElroy? Herb Street? Herb Street will not move. He'll stay in the Saturday night primetime game with Chris Fowler. Are you so, making these rules, or is that really not happening? No, that's not happening. He's staying on the national game. Yeah. He's not going to a conference-specific game. I think McElroy's a possibility. Kublik, I think, would be better than McElroy. I think Cole I don't is think so Cole good. makes that move. I think he's so good down on the field as a former player too. That that I, I, I like him there. You just don't hear from them enough when they're they're doing sidelines. I gotta get him one of those booger mobiles. <laughs> <laughs> the mobile deer stand. Yeah. I think you're gonna see Cole transition to the booth. Good. What about uh, what about moving Blackledge off of the? ESPN Saturday night primetime game and putting him on the Saturday afternoon game on the SEC. Who replaces him? Pat McAfee. McAfee. Oh, man. Pat McAfee. I like that idea. Now we're talking. How about McAfee working one weekend in the XFL and ghosting him? What? Worth the opening weekend. You had not seen him since. <laughs> he really hasn't been there since then? No. He has not. Probably has Cole bigger and Molly things McGrath coming. on those games. What happened? Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Thursday afternoon. Beautiful Thursday weekend just around the corner. Guys, you know what what uh, what happens after we go to bed Saturday night? We spring forward. Yes, we do. Time change. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody excited about that? Uh, you know, my kids are old enough now that, you know, it used to be like when you fall back, you didn't actually fall back. The kids just got up when they got up. Uh, so uh, the time changes. I mean, I'm glad to have the extra extra daylight for sure. It, it, it does not pleasant to walk out of uh, your house at 5 o'clock and it's pitch black. Yeah. I'm way excited about it. Tell you what else is uh, coming up starting tonight that I think a lot of folks are excited about. The Ben Shapiro Show is coming to Super Talk Mississippi. It brings you all the news you need to know and brutally breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Shapiro has become the leading voice of young conservatives through best-selling books, millions of followers on social media, and one of the most listened-to podcasts in the world. The Ben Shapiro Show debuts tonight on Super Talk Mississippi at 9 o'clock. You'll be able to hear the show each weeknight, 9 until midnight on your local Super Talk Mississippi station, supertalk.fm, and Amazon Alexa devices. So that starts tonight. Be sure to uh, check it out if you are on the go or uh, just hanging out that uh, at home. Uh, Mississippi State uh, loses an administrator, hey, Dad, and this is a guy that, you know, if if you were a Mississippi State fan, you probably knew who he was, but certainly being a deputy athletics director or a senior associate athletics director is not as well-known a position as being an AD or being a head coach. But Jared Binko was a guy that was really highly respected, and I got the impression that somebody, John Cohen, leaned very, very heavily on. He has been named the new athletics director at Georgia Southern. Yeah, uh, it's a reference Borky will get. Maybe you and uh, and Rippy won't, but I would have said he was sort of like the hand of the king. He was the the, the, the power behind the nice. throne here, a little bit okay. at Mississippi ah, State. They, I, 
<laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah, a, a guy that John Cohen, uh, he valued his advice very much, uh, definitely relied on him in a lot of things. He was part of, of, of you know, the, the, the highest level of, of decision making here at Mississippi State as far as athletics go, along with, with Cohen. Uh, you know, I, 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 not a, you know, like I said, not a, a name that fans might be overly familiar with. I, my, my dealings with him were very limited and, you know, I knew who he was and he knew who I was and he was always very pleasant to talk to and seemed like a nice guy and, and definitely a guy that had sort of, uh, people looking at him as a, a future athletic director. So Georgia Southern, from what I can tell, is getting a good guy. He was heavily involved in the football coaching search process. Was kind of with John mm-hmm. Cohen every step of the way on that. Last four years, deputy AD and chief financial officer at Mississippi State, uh, working uh, with John Cohen. Uh, the quote from Georgia Southern President Kyle Marrero: "This was a highly sought-after position, attracting over 100 candidates from across the nation. The expressed enthusiasm for and reputation of Georgia Southern validated the success we have had." And the potential in our future, Jared stood out in everyone's mind. The committee and I are confident he's the right person to capitalize on our momentum and lead Eagle Nation to even greater heights. Uh, Jared Binko is from the state of Georgia. He's from Watkinsville, uh, went to the University of Georgia, uh, worked in the athletics department in Athens when he was a student and a graduate assistant. And the guy that he's replacing is now actually at Ole Miss, Tom Kleinland, who had been the athletics director since 2012, resigned at the beginning of January to become Keith Carter's deputy AD at Ole Miss. So uh, congratulations to uh, Jared Binko. Uh, John Cohen was quoted as this, Georgia Southern is gaining an outstanding leader with an incredible reputation in Jared Binko. He has a wealth of diverse experiences in intercollegiate athletics that have more than prepared him for this opportunity. He has been an invaluable asset to Mississippi State, and I appreciate his service. So it's always cool. I mean, yeah. most people that get into athletics administration, I say most, a lot of people that get into athletics administration have a dream of one day being an athletics director. And it doesn't no, work out job. for everybody. But usually you see, you know, relatively early in somebody's career, you, you can kind of see, okay, is there some potential for this? Are they regularly getting promotions? Are they sought by other schools to come in in elevated positions? And if you see those things happening, then you tend to know it's a matter of time until they get a shot. It's kind of the uh, the path for Jared Binko, and uh, now he gets his shot as AD at Georgia Southern. So congratulations to him. College football fix is coming up next, and we've got a list to look at, a list that Michael Borky has uh, some thoughts on. This season is here. Michael Borky makes a statement in our rundown that I strongly disagree with. Oh, we yeah. will argue about it next. Nicely. Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling toward 5 o'clock. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday afternoon weekend just around the corner. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation. I love that somebody uh, texted us the picture of the gif of Booger in the mobile deer stand. You like that, Bork? 
I do love the uh, the memes that people come up with. Basically, it's the new Captain Obvious. We uh, we have another uh, let y'all's partner go to Cuba and do Castro baseball. <laughs> you like that? I don't even know what that means. Richard, Senior I did tell Brian you somebody Scott in the Rippy. office pulled me aside to make sure that Rippy wasn't an actual communist. <laughs> communist or Bernie supporter? Oh, same di- uh, Never mind. What's uh, the difference? <laughs> yeah. Easy. Somebody that works here in the office, um, I was walking by and they said, hey, hey, Michael, hold on a second. And they like pulled me aside like to the side of the hallway and said, Rippy isn't actually like a communist supporter, is he? <laughs> <laughs> My job here is done. Let's just walk away. I've now. been out for a couple of days, so maybe Borky's telling this for the second time. No, this is. Oh yeah, but this is. I think this was weeks ago. It was a, a few weeks, weeks ago. Yeah, I think I told it when you were off, though. But yeah, one of the uh, the hardworking people back here actually believed it. David follows it up with uh, the let's send Rippy to Cuba to cover Castro baseball. With he made an error. Shoot him. Oh. <laughs> I left Gallo a note the other day when I was in Jackson. There's a little sticky note that said, "Hey, Paul." Just left it right on the desk. You didn't sign it like, "Love Bor- or Love Rippy." No, I did not. <laughs> he would have looked <laughs> at it and have. said, "Who's Rippy? Who's that guy?" <laughs> Ron in Hattiesburg, our friend at the Hattiesburg Speedway, says last Friday night was our season opener, and Tony Stewart was racing. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Tony Stewart, the Hattiesburg Speedway. A bad Peyton Manning will be better than a good booger. I'm not disputing that. In the booth. Talking about. Derek says Peyton is personable. He would do well. That's Derek in the Delta. Josh says Pat McAfee for every game. I'm not against it. We gotta give a quick shout out here, by the way. You know they're playing the uh, the state championships up, up up in Oxford today at the pavilion. Ingemar just won the uh, the 1A state championship on a buzzer beater. Zach Sugars, no time left, 18-footer. Yeah, to beat Baldwin. They had a great crowd in there for that game. It looked like it, yeah, and, and the, the, home, the, uh, the Ingemar fans went home happy, a buzzer beater to win a state championship. Buddy, I hope that's yeah, not the, the highest moment of your life, but that's going to be tough to top. Yeah. Um. George from uh, West Point says that's comrade Rippy to you, bro. <laughs> I, I want us to start playing the Soviet national anthem when Rippy starts to speak. Can we get that happen? <laughs> yeah, I saw a miracle on ice the other day, and I was like, I've been rooting for the wrong team the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys watch it on ESPN the other night when it came on? Yeah, it was the yeah. week of miracle. Like the, I guess it was the anniversary, Winter Olympics, February, right? That's yeah. what it would have. Yeah, it was the yeah, forty-year 40 anniversary. anniversary. Yeah, I didn't know the documentary was new or something. So, Borky, you remember we did uh, on this day, like a day or two early that week, so that we could uh, talk. Well, we did it on the day that we normally do on. We this did day it on history. Wednesday, but it was the Saturday of that week. Yeah, yeah, but so, so you put that on my radar, and then I uh, I co-opted that and uh, worked it into our. Uh, Taste of Oxford St. Jude fundraiser, kind of what I had to say that night. Nice. So thanks for that. I meant to tell you thanks a while back. You're welcome. Inadvertently helping out the the kids. There you go. There you go. Uh, let's get to the college football fix. 
College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. I know one of the best-selling trucks are built for tough. Don't have to stop with trucks, though. Cars, SUVs, whatever it is that you are looking for, test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Before we get to the College Football Fix, David in Oxford text us this. You'll love it, hey, Dad. He said, Oxford is weird. I just passed a guy walking along Jackson Avenue, walking his parakeet. How is Rippy doing that in the show at the same time? <laughs> not a huge... He's uh, a multitasker. Not a huge bird guy. Like, when you say walking his parakeet, like, on a leash? I mean, we need more info. He walk something. And, David, we also need a picture, please. Yeah, make that happen. If you're in your car and you just pay, you just make a quick U-turn, there's never any traffic on Jackson Avenue, especially at 5.15. <laughs> never! Um, okay. So, Borky, we have a list. List season 2020 started on March 5th. Yes, we have a list. Parakeet was on the guy's shoulder, David says. Not on a leash. All right. Top 25 coaches in college football. Number one, Nick Saban. Not a shot. Top 25 coaches in all of college football. Nick Saban, one. Dabo, two. Ed Ogeron, three. Lincoln Riley, four. Kind of hard to argue that order, right? And no. so they had Saban, one, Dabo, two, but they called it 1A, 1B. But if you're B, that means you're second. Yeah. Um, I think maybe right now you could flip-flop them and justify it, but otherwise, I mean, Orgeron kind of has earned that spot. Not kind of. He earned that spot. You can't flip-flop those two and justify it. You can't flip-flop right now Dabo Sweeney over Nick Saban. No. Whose program is better right now? Alabama. What? Mm, No, sir. Hmm. It's close, extremely close. Well, hold on, hold on. Well, which is it, Borky? Which is it? Is it no sir, or is it? Eh, it's actually pretty close. It's close, but Clemson's recent his recent what four years uh, has been better I, than I'll Alabama's. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. The Clemson's program may be slightly better than Alabama's right now. I think it's pretty close between the two. But the question is, best coach in college football? The best coach in college football is Nick Saban. He's got five national championships at Alabama, six in his career. Dabo's got two, period. How far back does this go, though? Active coaches! but yeah, it's, got to cover, it's got to cover their whole career. I mean, career Jimbo now. Fisher has a national championship ahead of, uh, I mean, Kirby Smart, but who do you want to run your six. program right now? That's fine. That's fine if you want to debate. We're debating number one versus number two. Number one has six national championships. One of them he won before number two even became a head coach. So it great. Maybe twenty years from now, number two can be number one. Number two already is number one. If you had to start a program today, right now, who would your coach be? Rich Rodriguez. Uh, maybe Lincoln Riley. It'd be Dabo Sweeney. I might take Lincoln Riley. Sweet Zag, why? I like the job he's doing running the program in Oklahoma. I probably wouldn't take him for an SEC job today. 
Wait, hmm. what kind of job are you taking him for? Big 12 job. I, I like Lincoln Riley obvious, at Oklahoma. I, you know, mm-hmm. where, where's this program that all of a sudden I have that I'm plugging a guy into? Just say Texas. SEC, if you, Tennessee. If you Southeast Tennessee. Louisiana State, the Mud Dogs. Greg Schiano's not being yanked from Rutgers. Who else are you hiring? You can hire anyone else. If I'm at Tennessee and I can hire anybody on this list. Yes. Uh, it's probably Dabo. Probably Dabo. I li- I'm but, telling you, I just like Lincoln Riley a lot. Well, and then there's something to consider. You're talking about Saban versus Dabo here. Like, if I if I'm picking one player to start an NBA franchise with, and I'm looking long term, I'm looking at somebody like you know Zion or or, or you're or one of the Luka. younger players. Or Luke, yeah. But if I got a win, yeah. or Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't think. I just my brain farted there for a minute. But if I've got a win right now, this is just this year. I probably, I, you know, LeBron or AD is probably the way. Oh, okay, all of these things are great. They're great. So I'm You're saying starting I agree, a program I agree with you. right now. Who do I want? Who's got the best program in the last four years? Okay, it's Dabo. That's not the list. The list is who is the best coach in college football. It's Nick Saban. The guy that has won six national championships and is considered to be the greatest of all time is the best coach in college football. You're making this too hard. And Borky, the rest of the here's the list thing. in the next segment. Borky, this isn't even the part that I disagreed with you about. That's fine. I'm right on this one. And I think I'm right on the next You're one, too. You're not right on this one. Dabo's not the best coach in college football. Nick Saban is. His program was in worse shape than he took over, and he made it better than Nick Saban's right now. It's hard to argue. Nick Saban took over a mess at Alabama. Oh, yeah, Alabama was a mess the same way Clemson was a mess. Sports Talk Mississippi, it's your college football fix, and we got more to come. All right, we have struck a nerve with the C Spire text line. Brad in Burnsville, Saban is easily the best coach. Dabo is easily the second best. Stand your ground, Borkster. You're right. Oh, I know. It is so nice when it's just the dream team. Anthony in Louisville. This debate is radio gold. Please get angrier. Um, Dabo is the best coach right now. Dabo has never been the through the SEC meat grinder. It's easier to win four big games a year than ten. It's a reasonable point. The last thing on earth I enjoy doing is agreeing with Richard Cross. However, Nick Saban is miles ahead of Sweeney. However, Richard, you have to remember you're talking to Carolina Borky. Dude, I chose your... not to go to Clemson because I hate it. So, Did your wife text in? What was that? <laughs> Saban loses all assistance each year. That's CJ in the Delta. And yet he still does what? Well, it's, I mean, it's not like Dabo's kept the whole staff together. Yeah, he's had... Uh, he I mean, lost an assistant for the first time this year. In like eight years. For the first time this year? No, Chad Morris was well, a former... Chad Morris left. <laughs> yeah, but that was but kind that, of addition by subtraction. That was, that was yeah. five years ago, though. So I guess. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, John in Oxford sent us a picture of a guy with a bird on his shoulder. Where? I can't find it. It's, on it's down, down there. Oh, wow. Ooh, yep. here you go. The best coach right now is Hugh Freeze. Did you? Never mind. I don't want to go down this road, but uh, no. Liberty Football tweeted a, 
uh, a video and it's him giving one of his inspirational speeches and made sure to give that oh we're blessed to be wearing this check this nike check right here yeah do they pay for that rip through this list and then i've got questions and we've got debates Nick Saban, one. Dabo, two. Ed Ogeron, three. Lincoln Riley, four. Kirby Smart, five. Six through ten, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. James Franklin, Dan Mullen, Paul Crist, Bill Clark at number ten. Yeah, Borky would pick the article that had Leach lower, by the way. Kyle Whittingham, 11 at Utah. Wait, there was another one? Yeah, Feldman did a ranking, too. Oh, P.J. I, Fleck, Mario Cristobal, Jimbo Fisher, Kim Niamatololo, Mark Stoops at 16, Jeff Munkin at Army, Scott Satterfield at 18, too low, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Mike Leach, and then the final five in the top 25, David Shaw, Brian Harson, Mike Norvell, Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell. This is an offshoot question. How many programs that are currently in Power 5 conferences, plus Notre Dame, given the opportunity, would hire Ed Ogeron? That's a great question. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. The number is not as high as national college football media would want to tell you it is. The number, I think, is extremely small. Obviously, all of your your lower tier teams, teams that aren't winning, would probably take a chance. But you know, would Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas A and M, Auburn switch with LSU? I don't think so. I don't think Mississippi State or or Ole Miss would at this time. Well, Michigan, Penn State, State, Ohio, State, Ohio State, Iowa, no, no, Michigan State, Nebraska, yes. who? Yes, Michigan State. Michigan. That's a Michigan State for Mel Tucker, yeah, five and seven guy. Sure, they take Orgeron. I don't think so. I disagree. I don't think the there. fit works. I mean, to me, that's that's why this is a perfect marriage in Baton Rouge, is because it fits. I get that, but Orgeron is still definitely a better coach than Mel Tucker. We'll go up there and take Hallball out. And he has been a good recruiter everywhere he's gone, but it's just different at LSU. That's why this season is, I don't want to call it critical, because he just won a national title. So he's this season recruited in the Midwest a day in his life, has he? Did at Southern no, but, Cal, but not the same thing. But outside of this footprint. I mean, is he going to recruit Midwest guys to, to beat Michigan and Ohio State? No, he's going to stay in the South and get those kids as best he can. But this season, I mean, this is this is the real litmus test because everybody says that you should completely ignore his time at Ole Miss, and I, I do agree with that to a point and because he's a changed man. Well, we're about to really find that out this season because we had somebody ask on the text line, it's a fair question, what's Ed Orgeron without Joe Burrow? We're about to find out because, as we've said a few times, there there's going to be a significant talent downgrade at the quarterback position, and on top of that, he had – to pull a Nick Saban and replace his entire staff. It's easy to recruit to LSU. You don't have to leave your state, and you can field an NFL roster. There's more players per capita in the state of Louisiana that play in the NFL than any other state. So it's set up to succeed there. And so now you're about to find out how sustainable last year's success really is. Because that was a perfect storm. 
Yeah, but he won. Did he win 10 games each of the two years prior? Yeah, but I thought it was 9 had... and 3 both years, but maybe they, I'm wrong. They were 9 and 4 and 10 and 3, but the 10 and 3 year he had Joe Burrow. So what are we talking about? The 9 and 4 year, which one did they lose to Troy? That's the 9 and 4 year. Lost to State, Troy, Bama, and somebody else. Florida? Yeah. All right, Borky, you made a statement. Say it out loud. Brian Kelly is the most overrated coach in college football. Borky keeps on coming with the bad takes. What possible rationale could you have for saying that Brian Kelly is the most overrated coach in college football? He's been at Notre Dame for nine years, and his biggest postseason win is the Camping World Bowl. He also played in the national championship game. And, and then what happened? He won a Citrus Bowl. Uh, same difference. What happened in that national championship game? They got obliterated. That's not the point. They didn't they belong went to on the national the field. championship game. Yes, and that was when we had an arbitrary system of computers and stuff that put the team in there that probably didn't belong. But since we only had two teams that went to the national championship back then, they got to play in it and then showed everybody that they didn't belong on the field. By the way, that season was vacated. So on top of not winning anything in the postseason whatsoever at Notre Dame, he's lost a few seasons because of NCAA trouble. I mean, there is nobody in college football. Yeah, but hold on. Did we see it happen or not? I mean, oh, of course, I know. But on top of the underachievement and the getting smoked by Alabama in the national championship game, that season was taken off the books anyway. So, I mean, he has four seasons with four losses or more. Three of them with five losses or more. He has a four and eight at Notre Dame. And he, he and a lot of people will buy into this idea that, well, we have to recruit a different player at Notre Dame. Look at the rankings. You recruit just fine. It's you can't beat anybody in a game of consequence. And we have a decade's worth of seasons to show that when it matters, he's not winning football games. Yes, he has the four and eight at Notre Dame in twenty sixteen. He's also got a 12-win season in which he played in a national championship game, a 10-win season, a 12-win season, an 11-win season. That's in the last three years. He also went 34-6 and in four years at Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is still holding strong, winning with whoever the coach is there right now. I'm not saying he's a bad football coach, but when you put him on a list ahead of even a Paul Christ, Paul Christ in five years has not won double-digit games one time. And it's but the much more is difficult. Not, the the well, question is not where he coaches? is on the list. The question you, you said he's the most overrated coach in college football. How are those not the same things? Well, how many of coaches on this list have a uh, playoff and a national championship game appearance? You have to evaluate guys based on the job they have as well, right? Because if you look at... You tell me all the time that Notre Dame's not what it used to be, and Notre Dame's never going to be what it used to be. I don't know and if I it would never be, but they that. recruit well enough. It is not the same thing, but maybe part of that is because who's the leader there? Because as you've mentioned, they've been to the, the, to the national championship. They've been to the college football playoff. And what when happened? people said it couldn't be done at Notre Dame again. Oh, it can be done. You're one coach away from winning a national championship at any Power 5 school plus Notre Dame. 
But again, you said he's the most overrated coach in all of college football. That's not the same as saying, well, Paul Chris should be higher on the list than Brian Kelly. He's three spots behind him. How are those say, not yeah, very connected thoughts? I, I, w- I mean, if you're starting a program right now, Brian Kelly or Paul Christ? Brian Kelly or P.J. Fleck right now? Uh, maybe P.J. Fleck. I'm not sure See, that I take Paul you, Christ over Brian Kelly. Why not? Because they virtually win at the exact same rate, and one of them is much different. Uh, one of the jobs is a much more difficult place to acquire talent than the other. I don't know. Wisconsin's kind of won a bunch of games pretty much every year for the last 30. Notre Dame has been supposedly a college football power forever. And yet, uh, no wins of consequence. Ty Willingham and Bob Davey didn't exactly have success there. And you've had coaches that didn't have success at Alabama. Flustered. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll Good. Take a quick timeout. Be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Check out the sportsbook. Be a cool place to sneak off to this weekend. I bet they had some folks on the golf course today. Sunny, warmish, little bit of a breeze. Good day to sneak out and uh, and grab eighteen. And boy, things are about to get really good starting next week. But the day's a little bit longer. You can uh, maybe sneak out after work, catch that uh, you know the emergency nine right before you get home for the night. Dancing rabbit, good place to do it. Um. Kind of a light night in terms of top 25 teams in action in college basketball. Illinois at Ohio State. Ohio State is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Houston, two-point favorite on the road at UConn tonight. Houston's pretty good. They're 12-4 and four in the American. Uh, Cal is at Oregon. Oregon is a 15-point favorite in that game. That's a big number. Any of the NBA games tonight that you love, Borky? No, really light slate tonight. Tomorrow will be much better. Um, speaking of Cal, just a non sequitur, guess who their new defensive coordinator is? At Cal? At Cal. Hey, Dad's favorite football coach. Can you can you play some uh, like some opera, some really dramatic music for this? It's Peter Sermon, your guy. I guess they don't have film at Cal. I don't know how out there on the West Coast they don't have that. But if they need me to mail them a DVD of the Samford game or the Arkansas game from 2016, I'm happy to do so and save lives. Is the rub with him that he just sucked for the one year he was at State? Well, then he, the next year he went to after that, yeah too. he went to Louisville and they were they were awful. So yeah, he's he is not a good defensive coordinator. So why is it's he kind of Justin Wilcox's defense though, isn't it? Well, yeah, and Wilcox and he are very are very close too. I think this is their friends. So, I mean, it could be worse. It could have been Brian Van Gorder, I guess. He's had a bunch of different jobs, hasn't he? And been bad at all of them. Is there a soccer match tonight that uh, we should be all over in terms of uh, Pearl River Resort pick of the day? I don't know. Hit the under. <laughs> 
Um, no, there's not. There's not any on Thursday nights. Uh, you don't like uh, Deportivo Binacional against uh, Sao Paulo. I know nothing about those two teams, but I know that's Brazil, know Sao, right? That's in Brazil somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even see lines on these games. Um, Ohio State senior night against Illinois, who's been a little uh, schizophrenic throughout the course of the year. Let's um, let's buy the hook. Let's pay the uh, pay the double juice for that uh, half point and take Ohio State minus five at home against Illinois on senior night. You do that, or you do have Steph Curry making his season debut, which doesn't make any sense at all. As a nine-point dog tonight at home against Toronto, that might be one you well, take. So I was reading about this earlier in the week, and while I don't necessarily disagree with you, Borky, the uh, like I think there's a sense of like, hey, Draymond's really stuck it out with this really awful just G League team. Steph kind of want he wants to see what some of those other pieces that they might have for next year have around Steph and Draymond, like make it as close to the big three as possible. And what are the odds that a rookie in the, in the lottery pick in this draft class is going to make a difference in them winning a title next year? Yeah, this draft class is not a good one. That was the defense I read, which I found interesting, because my initial reaction was the same as yours. I don't even know where I fall on it. I That's just found a, I mean, that fascinating. Can't you feel guys out in practice and stuff, though? I, I just, man. I think he needs to play some. Like with those dudes, I think is part yeah. of what it is. Because there's like, the other piece though, where he makes seat. like forty million a year, and so if he's healthy, he should play. Buddy, you haven't watched the NBA lately. <laughs> you ever heard of load management? That does not factor in. <laughs> he hasn't played in four months. Yeah. His load is just fine. Oh, <laughs> not going to speak about it. Uh, never mind. I'm not going there. Easy, <laughs> easy. Uh. Sports talk, Mississippi. Ah, uh, continue. But NBA season cranking up. Playoffs should be fascinating. When do the playoffs start? Uh, second week April. No, second week April. That sounds right. For around forty so, days. So, so we are a month away, month and a week away, five weeks or so away from the start of the NBA playoffs, and we're about six months away from the NBA finals. That's what it feels like, man. NBA playoffs last. Forever. April 15th. Or no, no, April 18th. So you go from April 18th to mid-June? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Two months for the playoffs in the NBA. First round's going to stink on one side, but the next two, I think on both sides in particular, are going to be incredibly fascinating. First round's going to be bad on what, the east side? Yeah, you're going to have games with like 20-something point lines when Milwaukee plays Orlando. And they will win each game covering... Depends on the matchups. There could like potentially depending. There's so much shuffling going on in the West, three through seven, that uh, or two through seven, really. That it just kind of depends. There have some potential to have some really compelling ones, and then some that could kind of stink. Bucks have already clinched a playoff berth. Only team in the NBA to have done so. Right now, Toronto. <laughs> to I, I was look. I was mentioning this on the podcast the other day. One through eight uh, in the East. Though they haven't clinched yet, all all eight teams have a ninety seven percent chance or greater of making the playoffs. Bottom of the East is pretty rough. So currently, the eight that would be in in the East: Milwaukee, who again has already clinched; Toronto, the reigning world champs; Terrence Davis. I mean, I know he's not like the first guy you name for Toronto, but what a rookie season it's been. Boston, the three; Miami at four; Indiana at five; 
the Sixers at six, the Nets at seven. The Nets are seven games below 500, 27 and 34. Presumably, uh, Philly probably ends up ahead of Indiana, and you get Jimmy Butler going back to Philly in the 4-5 against Miami. That would be the East Series of the first round by far. Uh, on the Western side, Lakers sitting in the pole position, five and a half games better than the Clippers. Then it's the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Jazz, OKC, Dallas, and Memphis still clinging to that last playoff spot. They are three and a half in front of Portland currently. Is Dame Lillard back? Is he still out? He's back within a week if he's not. Okay. So the Grizzlies are 31-31, and 31, 17 games back of the Lakers. Could that be a fun series, though, Lakers-Grizzlies, if the, if the Grizz get back to, to fully healthy? It would be sure. a frisky five. Yeah. It's only a five-game series. No, it's a seven. I'm just saying it would only go five. Wait, first round is no. The, it, you, yeah, first I round is seven. That's why it takes so long. Months, man. Oh, uh, That's right. I'm still thinking Major League Baseball. If yeah. you get if you get Denver, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, any Oklahoma City is the kind of the wild card here because Chris Paul and them have the best like finishing lineup in basketball. Like I would take them against pretty much any team not named the Lakers. Like, so, give, so giving them not take them, give them a chance against anyone in the first round. So if it finished like it is right now, you'd have Lakers Grizzlies. We're talking about first round in the West. Lakers Grizzlies, Clippers Mavericks. That would be a lot of fun. Nuggets OKC. I would actually take OKC to win that. And Rockets Jazz. Sign me up. Great playoff basketball. Yeah, I think I could get locked in on some of that as well. I would much rather like to see, I think I'd like to see Clippers OKC. I think that could get really, really wild in the first round if they drop to the seven. Do they still manage Kawhi's load in the playoffs, or does he actually play every game then? He plays, and he's starting the whole, like, I'm going to play defense now. Like, he's, like, slowly transitioning into a fully functional basketball player. Fully loaded, you might say. He said to charge his batteries. Yeah. Um, That's how you con the host of the show into 11 minutes of hoops. Yes, sir. You like that? That's good. Mike says, uh, yeah, with multiple sub-500 teams in the playoffs, so exciting. I'm not going to put up with – not Mike. Mike's great. We interact on Twitter. But baseball guy that says NBA playoffs are too long when their sport plays the season length that they do, I don't want to hear it. And then baseball guy also says they don't play defense in the NBA. Have you ever seen what players do when they hit the ball into the dirt and easy ground ball? Like, they jog to first base. There, there, there is minimal effort Mike in Trout baseball doesn't. games. Jake Mangum doesn't. I don't want to hear it, baseball guy. If you want to tell me that there's no defense in the NBA, watch your sport just like for one game. And if the playoffs are too long, uh, call me when you shrink your season to 100 games. But, Borky, that that argument's a little, I know you are, but what am I? It's both stupid. The the basketball season's too long. The baseball season's too long. The playoffs are too long. Whatever. But you can't, oh, baseball's perfect. Your playoffs are too long. No, you just, it's the same thing. You lose me on that, baseball guy. Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.